Jordan, what's up, man? Hope all is well with you. We're going to jump right into our pregame topic here, our little amuse-bouche that we like to do here on this Let's Talk Sports podcast, uh, because it just came out today, Tom Brady on his podcast, the Let's Go podcast. Uh, so we're going to be in the same category alphabetically, by the way. We're, we're right, right there That's with right. Tom Brady. It's Let's Go and then Let's Talk Sports. We're only a little bit behind him there. But he said on the podcast uh, that he feels like the game is a little bit softer now. Talking about the NFL, of course, he has lived through over two decades of being a professional football player, 22-year career, now 44 years of age, says that, quote, I think they're now calling more penalties on defensive players for hitting, for violent contact. There's a lot of plays and hits that are happening on quarterbacks now that are flags for defensive players that probably weren't that way 10 to 15 years ago. Uh, so he said, I'd say the game is a little softer than it used to be. I think the defensive players are more on the defensive when they go into tackle. And I think that's probably adding to this element of quarterbacks outside the pocket, taking more chances than they did in the past. Jordan, you played the quarterback position in high school and a little bit in college. You watch intently NFL football every Sunday. Uh, do you agree with Tom Brady's assessment? The game's a bit softer now, as he put it. Yeah, first of all, I'm hoping for an uptick in, in listen for our <laughs> podcast because people are going to be searching. I'm like, oh, what's this Let's Talk Sports podcast about? <laughs> Let me just give it a little whirl and see if I like it. So uh, if anybody new is tuning in, welcome. Um, <laughs> let's go. Tom, <laughs> let's go. Tom Brady. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't think there's any denying. The game is less physical, right? Whether you want to call that softer or whether you want to call that, you know, less tough, whatever, like there's no denying they have taken some of the brutal physicality out of it, right? They, you can't just wallop dudes running over the middle. I don't know if it's irony or not, but the fact is Tom Brady has also probably lasted this far in his career in large part because of these rule changes. And so, you know, if it was the 1970s when guys were getting decapitated and like helmets were flying all over the place and quarterbacks were seen as, you know, free game, Tom Brady's probably not playing 21 years, right? That Like Terry Bradshaw wasn't playing that many years. Roger Staubach couldn't play that many years. Um, but it, it's funny because basically within 24, 48 hours here, I don't know if you saw the Mad Dog Russo rant that went kind of viral on Twitter uh, just today. And it, it's on his Twitter or the show's Twitter account, I should say. It's also been retweeted by the Lebitard show. But it's Mad Dog Russo going absolutely bananas about somebody saying that those old school quarterbacks like Bradshaw and Staubach, they couldn't hold a candle to these new guys, you know, the Kyler Murrays of the world who were throwing for, for a bajillion yards and all those things. And he just goes on a rant. He's like, you want to see those guys play back in the day against Lambert? And he just started naming like all the Steelers defenses from the steel curtain, like the, the purple people eaters, like all these guys who played football in the sixties and seventies, you know, who would, who would just take these guys heads off. Um, so it fits apropos, right? Because I think Russo also agrees uh, but maybe for different reasons than Tom Brady, uh, but it's absolutely funny. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, look, we've taken a lot. It's a more finesse game than it has ever been um, for better or worse. They're also throwing too many flags, but that's a whole nother conversation. Terry Bradshaw, Terry Bradshaw, the game is That's my uh, mad dog Russo. Uh. <laughs> the clip is like vintage Russo. And he's also apparently doing his show from like a couch in his living room. And he's like going off screen. It's like a zoom camera. He's like falling off of his couch. He's wearing like a t-shirt and shorts. Like he, like he's going to, he's going to labor day at Martha's vineyard. Like it's, oh, it's, it's classic. You just got to look it up. It's not going to translate over audio only. You got to go watch the clip. Tom Brady is one of the primary reasons 
the game is softer now, right? I mean, you can actually go back to the 2008 season opener when Tom Brady tore his ACL, was out that entire year for the Patriots, coming off of his 2007 MVP year, and that became a rule change, right, about defensive linemen going low in on quarterbacks. Nobody around the NFL, particularly the executive powers that be, want to see the marquee players, which are in most cases the QBs, not being able to play. Ironically, you have some QBs that are out right now in the NFL. But that said, I think Tom Brady's season-long injury in 2008 was a major contributor to some of the rule changes we've seen and the quote-unquote softening of the game of football. I don't think Tom Brady was necessarily saying it uh, as a criticism. I do think he's just pointing out a fact here. Uh, But you're right. He is both maybe one of the people responsible and also one of the biggest beneficiaries of the way this game has evolved. And with that, our show continues to evolve. Episode number 82 of Let's Talk Sports with Kanoa Leahy and Jordan Helley. And we are stoked because we have a playmaker extraordinaire joining the podcast, none other than Calvin Turner Jr. He wears number seven for the University of Hawaii Rainbow Warrior football team. This guy, every time he takes the field, is one of the most talented dudes on the field. Uh, He stands out like no other. This is a guy who is arguably their best wideout receiver. He is their best slot receiver. He is their best running back. Heck, he might be at least top two or three best quarterbacks on this roster. You put him on the defensive side, he'd probably uh, do some pretty remarkable things as well. He is their punt and kick returner. Uh, This guy just does everything, and he has put together a highlight reel that uh, will withstand a pretty significant amount of time, I think, in terms of UH football lore. He is on the podcast with us, and we'll get to that interview in just a little bit. The other thing about it is on top of that dynamic play, he's also a really humble dude. Yeah, he really is. And and he's one of those, he's one of the most talented dudes in a long time to come through this program. And I hope he gets remembered as such. Got nine more games at the very least to, to add to his resume. But, you know, the fact that nobody's seen him play in person, really, you know, I hope that doesn't maybe, you know, detract from some of his all-time greatness, at least uh, around the water cooler. Yeah, with that, we'll be talking some UH football with Calvin in a little bit, and we start off our game time talking UH football. That's right, the UH football team losing a tough one to San Jose State. And when I say a tough one, I mean a game that only a mother could love. It was a drop-ridden, offensively challenged battle that saw UH fall to 1-3 and three after a 17-13 loss to the Spartans. The opportunity was there for Hawaii to get this win on its home field against the defending Mountain West Conference champs. Uh, It's been interesting, right? The fallout from that loss. Todd Graham has gone on record in front of the media sort of deflecting would-be criticism for quarterback Shevin Cordero's play by saying it's his fault, not Shevin's, saying it's on the coaches. We have our quarterback. We have talent on this roster. We need to put them in a better position to possibly succeed. And so you have to credit Todd Graham for, for doing that. I think that is something that coaches should do, particularly when things don't get off to the start that is ideal or was maybe even anticipated or expected. Now, granted, their two losses uh, prior to San Jose State were on the road against Pac-12 teams. Uh, They lose to the defending conference champs. So, you know, one in three, if you were to tell somebody at the beginning of the season would be their record after four games, there might be some people that say, hey, look, that can make sense. It might be unrealistic to expect otherwise. 
But as that game against San Jose State was transpiring and you saw the Spartans just giving away points by seeing wide open receivers behind the defense just inexplicably dropping passes all over the field, it was like nothing I'd ever seen before. And to then sort of miss out on what turned into a golden opportunity for Hawaii to get what would have been a key win in that West division, I think that's what made it hurt all the more. And so, yeah, one in three, tough start. What do you think about it? Yeah, there's, there's always context, right? The, the fact that, you know, it's two road trips into Pac-12 territory. It's defending conference champs at home to begin conference play. But the nature in which they lost those games right on the road, the, the, the terribly poor starts, the poorest defense, um, an offense that had been inconsistent but showed some life against Oregon State and then took some steps backward, I would say, against San Jose State in this loss last week, Saturday. I, I think that's the, the most disheartening part, right? One, in a capsule, that San Jose State game was there for the taking. I mean, absolutely there for the taking. Uh, and they failed to get over the hump and let San Jose State kind of escape out of there while playing, I don't know, C-level football for their standards at the best with a win. And then you look at it a little more macro right through the first four games and you're trying to find, okay, bright spots, right? Encouraging trends. And there have been moments, third quarter into the fourth quarter against Oregon State, first half against Portland State, the defensive, at least totality performance against San Jose State here. The problem is, and I think the, the level of concern comes from just how wildly inconsistent it has been. It hasn't been good offensive performance built upon an even better offensive performance. It hasn't been defensive flashes and then built on maybe you can make the argument a defense is trending in the right way but it has been peaks and valleys man there have been really good moments and really bad moments and I just it's hard to kind of put your finger on why I think at this point um, whether it's just more consistency in terms of what they are trying to do offensively in attack whether it's some consistency in trying to to figure out what they want to be defensively and obviously availability is part of that Darius Muasal right missing basically second half of Oregon State first half and so that's a bit of the availability but yeah I mean even even within the game against San Jose State the University of Hawaii offense they put together a 10 play 71 yard drive to score on the second possession of the ball game all right that is encouraging and then the rest of the way they basically on 10 of their 16 possessions either go three and out or four and out where they get a first down right away and then don't do anything after that that is that is troubling right the fact that there are possessions that just amount to nothing and then there are also possessions where they march down the field and put together double digit play drives like there's got to be some happy medium out there yeah I think the identity is lacking you, you kind of touched on it this is a team that that Todd Graham himself said it is important for us to establish an identity and I don't think they've done that yet really on either side of the ball just yet we know what the intent is but things have gotten a little murky, right? Hawaii in that second half against Oregon State, we saw a lot of wildcat with Calvin Turner behind center, and they were pulling out all the stops to try to get something going. And to their credit, it worked to a degree, but that's not the, the, the basic schematics of what they want to do offensively. And then we saw in this game in the second half, uh, they all but sort of abandoned the tight end position. And you started to see more four wide sets uh, hearkening back 
to their run and shoot days, at least in terms of their formations. And so I don't think they've quite locked down what they want to do. They haven't been able to establish, all right, this is where we are most effective. It seems to still be trial and error from week to week. Uh, and, you know, they'll have another chance here on the road at Las Cruces against New Mexico State this week to try to once again identify themselves to a large degree. And I think uh, until that happens, you know, we, we can probably expect continual roller coaster rides in terms of performance and a lack of consistency, because that's such an important part of any competitive endeavor is to try to figure out, all right, who are we? What do we do best? And how can we accentuate that every time we take the field? All right, speaking of that field, Clarence TC, Ching Athletic Complex, no fans still allowed. It is still in question as to whether or not in their next home game against Fresno State, off to a great start this season, by the way, beating UCLA at the last minute this past weekend. No fans allowed in. It is, it is not expected that they'll be let in in that game against the Bulldogs. The band was let in, though, this past week and actually performed at halftime, which was a bit of a head scratcher because I'm not sure who they were, you know, performing for. But it was great to see them in there anyway. But it has brought about a pretty large and loud debate as to whether or not you think fans should be let in to some capacity. Even family and friends who apparently all signed a petition just to ask elected officials, uh, both at the city and state level, to allow them in if they if they are vaccinated if they practice social distancing it seems to be reasonable you're starting to see the volume on that turned up louder and louder every day where do you stand yeah hey, i mean really v bobby curran those guys need the band to perform right they they took in the they took in the the <laughs> performance by the, the rainbow warrior marching band uh, i could see them making some big noise for the for the students but no in all seriousness I, I, I do kind of side and I, I get the frustration. I, I fully acknowledge the precautions taken by government officials, right? I, I, I do think they are trying to manage this as best they can and trying to keep everybody as safe as they can, try to make sure that the, the medical system um, is viable, right? And that's been a lot of the conversation with the uptick in cases. But I think we have learned right this far into the pandemic, even dealing with the Delta variant and the surge in cases there and how much of a different ball game it has become with, with that variant. We have learned, and there are even built-in structures here locally, right, uh, in the different counties that, that allow for gatherings of larger number to do so safely, right? There are mitigation plans. There are, there are efforts being made that you can that you can come up with and i think the university of hawaii even before the season basically started with no fans and they were working on the assumption they had a plan right for for vaccinated or you had to test and and people have to wear masks and so they i think we have learned that it is doable and it is something that can happen with relative safety right there are no guarantees we understand that but it is something and i'm not saying that they need nine thousand people there and full capacity, but I think friends and family is a more than a reasonable ask, right? A few hundred people spread out amongst that facility in pods of six or less or whatever the number is now, right? Five or less, whatever it needs to be. But you can reasonably put people safely distance in groups of pretty small numbers and still fit a few hundred people in there. And and I think for, for, for those reasons, uh, I, I think they, they really need to reevaluate this going forward for next week's Fresno State game and then going forward 
uh, where I, I think you can make that work. I really do. And, and it doesn't have to be full blown, let everybody through the gates or anything like that. But I, I think there is a, a reasonable way to, to allow some folks in there, right? If the band could fit in there with, I don't know how many people are in the band, right? A hundred or so. I do think there is a, a, it's a reasonable ask. And I think it's a doable thing. I think the juxtaposition of sitting at home and watching television and seeing all of these packed houses of 80 to 100,000 fans all over the country, that's what accentuates the absence of fans here, right? People are watching games taking place in the state of Florida. And I, I shudder to think of what the hospitalization numbers might look a couple of weeks from now over there. Uh, that's a huge part of this story, right? Is just the strain on our healthcare workers and the hospital resources. Uh, we are not like other states on the continent. You can't cross through state lines and utilize healthcare resources in those other regions. We are to ourselves here. We are very much left to our own devices. And so it is a different equation and a different calculus that is applied here. It has to be. Uh, but I agree with you. I, I think they can start small. Uh, and I don't think that the ask at the moment is that big. Nobody's saying, hey, look, let's pile 9,000 in. It was the parents saying, hey, look, can we let like 200 people in? And we'll just sit in, you know, as far apart as possible. And I don't think that that's out of the realm of reason. And I, I think that's, that's sort of the starting ground and why people are having uh, such a problem with this. It should also be uh, mentioned when you look at packed houses in Baton Rouge and LSU, uh, Oregon, there are a lot of stadiums that are requiring everybody to be vaccinated and at the very least tested within 72 hours of attendance. You know, people were commenting about Wisconsin and their packed house. You know, University of Wisconsin in Madison, they are over 90% vaccinated on campus. And so I think those are all things you have to think about. It is clear that there is a correlation with the amount of people that are and the percentage of people that are vaccinated like that's just the reality something that needs to be considered now we're, we're talking a little bit further on uh football and we have calvin turner in a little bit but this is potentially a huge story here because as we're seeing more conference realignment across the country in college football uh, we have to anticipate that the mountain west could be poached Right. When you talk about that upper echelon of teams, whether it be Boise State or Nevada, just some of the geographic advantages that some of these programs might offer to a conference like the American, dare I say the Big 12 or something along those lines. And then it leads you to believe, all right, are we going to see a recreation of the old Western Athletic Conference when you had the teams break off to the Mountain West in the first place? And Hawaii was among the teams left behind. So you have, I know that you posted on social media this suggestion. You have Dave Reardon who wrote a column about it in today's Honolulu Star Advertiser that Hawaii should consider the idea of going independent, that that is something that should be considered viable. You've mentioned it before. Uh, you would think it could be a benefit for Hawaii to consider going independent. Yeah, I think it's always better to be proactive than, than reactive, right? And, and when you're lower on the food chain, you, you often have no choice but to kind of be reactive. I think it's inevitable that some of the teams, you know, when you talk about Boise State, you talk about the likes of Air Force because of their tie with the military academies. Um, it's coming, right? Whether it's the Big 12 pilfering the American and the Conference USA and then the American coming after some of those schools, right? It's very reminiscent of Boise and San Diego State's flirtation with the Big East a number of years ago, which they ended up ultimately deciding not to go <laughs> and staying in the Mountain West. But if the Big 12 comes calling, or if the Pac-12 expands, right? Because there are rumors even that some 
Pac-12 schools are interested in defecting and maybe building out to the Big 12 because of some dissatisfaction with the Pac-12. And I think that maybe stems from the previous leadership under Larry Scott. We'll see how things go now that they have a new commissioner. But the tectonic plates are shifting. There is no denying that, right? It is coming. Um, and so with, what the viability of the Mountain West is going forward, hard to say right now, but there is a, it's a pretty reasonable bet, I think, that it will look different. Now, if, if the Mountain West is still viable and is still in place where they can, they can juxtapose things, maybe it's a 10-team conference or something like that, then yeah, that, if you have some security with conference scheduling, that is always a better option to me. But if it, if it continues to look like Hawaii could be on the outside looking in again, right, and they're one of five Mountain West teams that all of a sudden you know, are kind of caught in the wind once again, you, you have to at least very seriously explore independence because I think it brings with it some very real benefits whether it's you know and and it's been done to varying degrees of success right I think BYU has done it reasonably successfully New Mexico State they've been right they've been kind of a, a cast off in terms of division one a football FBS football so it could go one of two ways don't get me wrong but Hawaii's geographic location can be an advantage at times right we have seen Look, just last week, right? Fox Sports 1, they pushed the kickoff back to 6.30, 12.30 Eastern, right? National television, negotiating your own deal, not having to be tied to a conference television contract, being able to schedule as you wish. And, and people are going to point out, look, scheduling is going to be a nightmare. I don't necessarily disagree. We have been able to schedule basically five non-conference games for a number of years now. It's usually some combination of a couple of Pac-12 teams. You mix in a couple of uh, group of five teams. Uh, and you mix in a, an FCS school, right? It's Portland State this year. It's Idaho State in future years. It's Duquesne. It's Albany. There are ways to fill out your schedule. New Mexico State, you look at them. They've got road trips to Kentucky and Alabama later in the season. And that's the, that's the genuine concern, I think, is trying to fill out your October and November schedule. It's a lot easier to schedule in September um, than it is in later half of the season. And, and it comes with a ton of risk. Don't get me wrong. But the, the opportunity, especially now, and, and people don't like to talk about it, but with, with the increase in gambling, the increase in eyeballs, the, the, the late Hawaii game, right? It is a thing nationally. And if you can lean into that and, and get a national television contract deal when it comes to, hey, we'll, we'll play our games at midnight Eastern, right? People are, it may, it may become a coveted spot. Um, I'm not saying it's foolproof or anything like that, but I think it's something that they have to seriously consider, right? Instead of being kind of caught in the wind again, where it's like, hey, look, you're just begging for anybody to take you or you're forced into into independence and, and you're, you're not prepared for it. Yeah, because you have the situation now where Hawaii was desperate to get out of the whack. And so they joined the Mountain West as a football only member. And they agree by terms of those deals with the Mountain West and in other sports, the Big West Conference to pay subsidies of travel for opposing teams in the league, right? And, and a lot of that came out of the caveat that Hawaii has its own TV deal with Spectrum. And so they get their own money there. And so, you know, the disbursement of funds from outside networks, uh, you know, those are things that have to be negotiated. But that said, I agree with the idea of being prepared. My fear of independence is 
you know, in Dave Reardon's column, he cited two of Hawaii's biggest road wins came during their uh, independent years, right? Which was a win at Nebraska in 1955 and Washington in 1973. But the college football world is different now. And you're talking about the impending expansion of the college football playoff, which is going to add games to these teams' schedules. And so how likely are they going to be to find a matchup with Hawaii going all the way to Honolulu, right? 2,500 miles from the West Coast. How likely is it that they're going to see that as an attractive scheduling option? Which means, hey, look, even this year with Hawaii as a member of the Mountain West Conference, 13 games because of Hawaii's ability to play in week zero, but seven of them are on the road. So they're playing fewer home games than road games this year. Imagine if they were an independent. And my fear is in order to be an attractive opponent for these teams out of conference throughout the season, what are we talking? They're going to play like nine road games. And that is my fear is Hawaii's not going to have a lot of leverage when it comes to scheduling teams here. Uh, and those are going to be four pay games. And so you can possibly survive as far as being a program. But I'm just not sure if that's ideal. That's my fear. But I agree. You have to be prepared for any possible option because being a member of the Mountain West Conference might not be an option, depending on how this thing potentially evolves. All right. So we're a little short on time. Let's get to, on that note, our interview with the playmaker extraordinaire himself for the UH football team, Calvin Turner Jr., all right. It's good to see you, Calvin. Thanks for making some time, man. Uh, hope all is well. Uh, how you doing? I'm doing very well. I'm ready for this week. It's not going to be trying to go out and get a win. Yeah, obviously, you know, one in three, not exactly the start that you guys were, were hoping for. How is the vibe? What, what is the feeling right now in that locker room among this roster uh, after uh, the one and three start and particularly suffering a, a tough loss to San Jose State at home? Um, the the energy in the locker room is still very great. We know that um, the record of one and three does not define us and does not represent how good of a team we are. So now we're just going out and we're looking to win this game, this uh, non-conference game, and, and get rolling. And we got Fresno the week after, so we're trying to get ready to prepare and get prepared to win this game and just keep winning games throughout the season. Yeah, I mean, there's there's going to be a lot of discussion as to what you guys can do better and 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 some of the things that have maybe not worked out. What have you focused on uh, on your side of the ball as to maybe, you know, why uh, the starts offensively have been somewhat slow? You know, what prevented you guys from really getting clicking in that last game? What, what have you identified as things that that can and should get better? Well, the biggest thing is the execution of plays. Um, we had a, a couple of drops in the San Jose game that prevented us from moving the ball on third down. So the biggest thing for us is just executing better and, and just being better and with, with the fundamentals of the game. Yeah, Calvin, kind of kind of on that note, when, when it comes to execution, where, where do you think you guys are? I mean, this is kind of year two for you in the program, year two for, for Coach Graham and, and the staff as a whole, um, albeit last year being pretty abbreviated, obviously, with, with everything going on. But where do you guys kind of feel you're at in terms of developing and, and getting to that point where, where execution is more of a given, if you will? Uh, I feel like we're almost there. Um, like last week, this past week versus San Jose, our defense played good and the offense struggled. And the week before, the offense played good and the defense struggled. So now it's just all about uh, putting together a complete game. And once we can do that, then we're going to know everything is clicking. So we just need both sides of the ball to be clicking for one game. And, and that'll give us momentum for the rest of the season. Yeah. It, it, what kind of uh, 
rapport have you developed with, with Chevin Cordero in terms of, you know, getting you the football and all these different manners? So what's what's the connection like between you and Chev? I see Chevin as my brother. Um, we spent a lot of time outside of football together. I spent time with his family and some things like that. I've been to a couple of family cookouts and things like that. So I, I see him as a brother of mine and as someone that probably be in my life for the rest of my life. Yeah, from what I understand, uh, you've been hanging out with with Chevin and the family like all off season. Like you guys were working out together, hanging out together. Um, what has that relationship and that bond meant to you? It means a lot. Um, it's someone that he's local and he showed me a lot of different things around the island and put me on a lot of things or on the island, like the island food. Like he took me to um, Highway Inn one time, <laughs> so that was my first time having like true Hawaiian food. So. It definitely has meant a lot to me to have someone to show me around and show me the way. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you got a local brother that takes you to Highway Inn, then that, that's that you he's plugging you into the community there. Did you like the Hawaiian food? Yes. Yes. The only thing I did not like was the, the lao lao. I mean, the poi. The poi was, <laughs> was, not, was not my thing. Oh, all right. All right. You'll come around. I, I have confidence that you'll come around on that one. I mean, they, they've uh, given me poi uh, malasadas from bakery which are really good i just don't like the poi itself by itself i think when it's in desserts maybe but the poi by itself is i don't i don't really know about that one right now <laughs> all right so uh you have that frame of reference for the menu here in the islands the, the cuisine that's available you come from georgia right and some of that that down south sort of good vibes home cooking uh how do you compare the cuisines from where you're from to where you're at right now it's a lot different. I would say that for sure. The, the, the way it's made and everything. I mean, cause it's kind of the same foods, but it's just made totally different. Like, like, um, the Lao Lao with the, the greens and things like that, like we make ours totally different than what they make there. So I feel like it's the same food. It's just prepared totally different. It's all comfort food though, at the end of the day, right? Yeah. Not most definitely. <laughs> um, you know, your time here in Hawaii has, has just been incredible. I mean, what, people have said about you, the accolades you've received, uh, how you're perceived as being, you know, arguably the most versatile player in the conference. And, and some people would even venture to say in the Western region. Um, what have you experienced here in Hawaii in terms of your football career uh, that has maybe surprised you or, or that you really kind of have, have been proud of to this point? I was very proud of like coming to Hawaii and, and just being here and just proving that I can play on this level because I played at a non-scholarship FCS program before. So I feel like the biggest accomplishment for me is just coming here and, and carving my role into the team and carving my role into the offense and just having a successful season last year and, and the beginning of this season so far. So I feel like for me, that's the biggest thing is just coming out here and just proving that I belong in this, in this type of uh, environment and that I can play with the best of, of everyone. Because there's one thing to transition from Jacksonville to the University of Hawaii. It's another thing to transition from being a quarterback at your previous spot to now being this versatile offensive weapon where you line up in the backfield. Heck, you line up behind center from time to time, wide out, slot, like whatever it may be. Did you envision that for yourself when you decided to come out to Hawaii? Actually not. I didn't envision that because I was recruited under Coach Rolovich. And so I, he ran the run and shoot, and, and I was going to be playing slot in his office. So I envisioned myself playing just a slot receiver. And then um, when Coach Graham came in, they told me to move me to running back. And then he was telling me about a guy named DJ Foster, who I think plays for the Cardinals right now. I went went back and, like, looked up the film of DJ Foster, and that's when I started to envision myself doing all these things. 
Yeah, how how difficult it is it is it with all of these responsibilities? Uh, you know, you you, you got to be ready to play receiver. You got to be ready to play wildcat quarterback, <laughs> running back. You're returning kicks. Um, is there a, an added sort of difficulty responsibility to to carrying you know the the load of all these different position groups and and wearing all those different hats? Most definitely, definitely a a big thing, and it's a big responsibility because you got to know what you're doing in every position. But as a quarterback, a previous quarterback, it was easy for me to learn everything I'm doing because when you play quarterback, you have to know what everyone on the team is doing, from the O-line to the receivers to the running back to pass protections or whatever it is. So for me, it was it was easier, for me, easy transition to, to be able to know all of these different things because as a quarterback in high school and in college, I had to know everything on, on the playbook anyway. So it was an easy transition mentally. It's just the physical part, which, I mean, it took a lot of reps to get better at receiver, get better at running back and things like that. So that was the, the hardest part was the physical part and, and just getting the reps down under my belt to be able to do all those things. Yeah, and, and in addition to, to playing all those roles on offense, I, I believe you were an all-conference defensive back your first year at Jacksonville. Uh, so you played on the defensive mm-hmm. side of the football. You've played a bunch here on the offensive side of the football, obviously both in your previous stop and now at the University of Hawaii. Do you have a favorite? Like, is there a favorite place for you to line up on the field, offense, defense, you know, receiver, quarterback? What's 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 kind of been your favorite? I mean, my time on defense was very fun, but I'm definitely an offensive player, and, and I love uh, lining up at the and playing like I do now here at Hawaii. Um, I feel like this is my favorite, and this has been the most fun for me. And, it, it, I mean, it gives you, like, like, little kid vibes when you're out there. You just kind of just – Coach put me here. Coach put me here. You know, when I was in, when I was in high school, I used to tell my coach, let me line up at receiver, let me line up at running back. And now it's like I'm actually doing all those different things. So it's definitely uh, – this is my favorite thing to do now and, and play the different positions that I'm doing now. Well, it's no secret that you're a gifted player and a gifted athlete. And I think one of the signature plays that, that will always go down in, in Calvin Turner lore – is that 34-yard run against Portland State where Shevin throws you the backwards pass right behind the line of scrimmage. You're running backwards because Portland State has the play sniffed out. You're actually back on the other side of the 50-yard line. Like, you're in Hawaii territory, but you have a couple blockers in front of you. You, you, you veer out to the opposite sideline, and you end up going to the house. Uh, what goes through your mind on a play like that where, I mean, you're running backwards, which, you know, for nine out of 10 players in the country, if they're doing that, that is a cardinal sin that is taking place for you. It turned into a touchdown. Um, well, for one, my uh, officer guard solo, um, he always makes jokes that whatever way Calvin runs, just go the opposite way because he's going to end up over here sooner or later. So he always makes that joke. And he actually did it in the game where he was one of the people who gave me a block to spring me to the end zone. But um, when I first caught the ball, the first thing in my mind was just to make the first person miss. And then I was like, I can fig- I'll figure out what I'm going to do from here because he was literally, as I was catching the ball, he was right there. So after I made a miss, it just seemed like the whole, the entire defense was on the right side of the field. So I was like, if I could just get around this one guy, I, I might take this to the house. So I just did it. <laughs> it just happened like that. <laughs> Is that stuff natural? I mean, did you always sort of have a knack for that kind of, of play? Or, or you know, even when you were a kid, did you did you see yourself sort of running faster than everybody? What, what was your experience like? No, yeah, my dad said um, when I was kind of playing tackle football since I was five years old. So my dad was like when I was like six or seven. Like, I, I played running back all, like, growing up in Little League and stuff. So, he was, like, it was one play. I, like, ran the ball, and I cut cross field and cut cross field. And 
he was like, that's when I knew like something was special. And he was like, that's, and that's, he was like, you've been doing that literally your entire life. So I did it like in high school, middle school, even now in college, even at Jacksonville and stuff like that. So I just been doing it kind of all my life. I mean, it just kind of always end up being good. Uh, <laughs> so I, I mean, I'm not going to do it every time, but when I feel it, when I feel like the time is right, then I will do it. So it's something that I've, I've had in the, like I've been doing since I was very young. Yeah, and, and with the team kind of transitioning to back looking ahead to, to this week in Mexico State and, and ahead for the rest of the season, Calvin, um, what, what's kind of the, the mindset going into the, the last nine games of this season, basically a, a third of the way done and, and looking at, you know, getting in position to be bowl eligible once again, like you guys were last season? Uh, is that something you guys talk about? Is, is that something front of mind or are you guys taking it kind of week by week? I mean, we do take it week by week, but we do – we still feel like we still have a chance to get in the Mountain West Championship. I mean, in 2019, Hawaii was 5-3 and three in conference play, and they made the, the Mountain West Championship. So we believe that this conference is very good, and, and week to week, uh, anybody can beat anyone. So we have a lot of good teams on the outside of the conference. You have Nevada, who was picked to win. You have Fresno State, who's, who's ranked right now. You have uh, San Diego State, who just beat a good Utah team. And now you, and you have San Jose State, the, the winners from last year, all on the outside of the conference. So we do believe that there is a chance that uh, the no one on our side will go undefeated because we have so many good teams. And, and like I said, anyone could beat anyone from week to week. So we do believe that we still have a good shot and a great chance at winning the Mountain West. We just got to go out and, and try to go 9-0. But that starts with being 1-0 each week. And, and having said that, right, there's still a lot of season left. But we all know you made the decision to come back for, for a second senior year, basically, um, with the University of Hawaii. Have you allowed yourself to kind of envision what lies ahead for you beyond your collegiate career? Well, sometimes I do, but I try not to because I know that when you think ahead, it can, it can uh, blur your vision for what's going on right now in front of you. So I try to stay in the moment and, and to try to attack every day um, with everything I got so that when, then when the future does come, that I put myself in the best position to be successful. You seem, and by all accounts, everyone that knows you describes you in this way, but you seem to be just be a very sort of steady, level-headed, and emotionally kind of, of stable player. You don't appear to be one that gets too high or too low, depending on what's happening. Is that accurate? Is that an accurate description of, of your personality, you would say? Yeah, most definitely. I feel like I try to not get too high or too low because the game has a lot of ups and downs. Um, so I feel like can never get too high because it can all come crashing down and you can never get too low because eventually it's, it's going to go up or going to go down. So I just feel like I just try to stay level-headed and just and try to just do what I, do my part every game and, and just stick with the same mentality because you have, like, I mean, everyone's not like me. You don't have to who, who go low, who go down. So I just try my best to, um, to like, stay level-headed so I can pick up the guys around me too. Yeah, because I imagine, you know, suffering a tough loss against San Jose State, there are probably a lot of guys that are down on themselves, the mood in the locker room, I'd imagine, uh, pretty sullen. Uh, so do you find that you have an influence on that mood generally because you're like, hey, let's turn the page, guys. That's that's all we really can do. Yeah, I feel like our leaders of the team uh, have a big um, responsibility in that, and we, we try our best to flip the pages and attack each week. Uh, differently and, and better than we did the previous week so we can set ourselves up for success. So you mentioned that you were uh, recruited under the previous regime. Um, how did you get Hawaii sort of even on your radar? Well, my coach from Jacksonville, uh, Coach Ian Shields, who now coaches at UNLV, um, somehow he had a connection with Coach Rolovich and 
he just sent my film to him and, and showed him and told him a lot of stuff, good things about me. And so that's when Coach Rolovich uh, reached out to me and told me that that he would love me to come play slot here because um, he was like the, the best, one of the best receivers he had here, like in his time here, um, was a triple option quarterback in high school, which is John Rasul, which I've uh, like worked out with a couple of times and stuff. So he was like, it just triple, he was like, the run and shoot is basically triple option pass game where you have to read stuff on the fly, read coverages on the fly. And, I, and that's what you do in the triple option. You have to read the defense and you got to read the linebacker. You got to just read things on the fly and, and full speed. So he was like, he know that I would, it would be a good adjustment for me and, and I have the athleticism to do it. Yeah. I just got one more question, Calvin. Um, you know, you, you, and I know it's kind of an incomplete way to ask this because unfortunately you guys haven't been able to play in front of home crowds in your two years here, but Playing at Aloha Stadium now, playing on campus. What 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 has that been like? Uh, again, I I know you guys would like to have some <laughs> some support in the stands. That that's understandable. But what, what's it been like playing playing on campus there at Ching? Well, once we do get fans, I feel like well, if we if we ever do get fans, I feel like it would be a great experience because Aloha Stadium is about 20, 25 minutes away from school. So I remember my, some of my teammates would tell me like a lot of students wouldn't go to the games because they literally just went half rides or they couldn't afford an Uber or whatever the case may be. So I do feel like if we ever do get fans here and hopefully we get them before the season is over and, and they have them next year, that would be a great experience because the, the students can literally walk down right from the dorms and just and kind of like help pack this place out. So, I mean, I feel like playing here on TC Chain would be a great a great thing for years to come and, and it would definitely uh, influence a lot of students to come to the game and, and have a, a bigger come out to the games. Well, as you mentioned, you're uh, on the road, New Mexico State, in what is a weird scheduling glitch uh, that you are actually going to be playing this team twice. How do you sort of prepare for the idea of, all right, this is going to be chapter one uh, of, of playing this team twice in a regular season series as opposed to, oh, we may see them again in the conference championship or something? It's most definitely weird because I've never – I mean – yeah, I don't think I've ever played a team twice in football. <laughs> so, like, in the same season, even in the championship or things like that. So, I feel like this would be a weird – it is weird to think that, like, are we playing these guys now? Are we play them in another, like, two or three weeks again? But not for the championship, just for another non-conference game. So, uh, we just want to try to take this game and, and win this game and use this game plan. And then next time we play, we're trying to do the same thing, which is trying to get a win again. So we're trying to go 2-0 against them, which is very hard in football, very hard in any sport to, to beat a team twice. You know, you mentioned you feel like it comes down to execution. Um, where is the belief among yourself and the rest of the players uh, on the offensive side of the ball of just what you guys are doing, the, the conviction and the intention behind what you guys are doing? Do you feel like with better execution, yeah, this offense can pump. This thing can work. It is on just us doing the things that we need to do. Yeah, we all believe in each other. We believe in the players we have. We believe in the, in the coaches we have. We believe in each other. We just know that as long as we execute that, we can blow this thing up because we saw a little glimpse of it in the second half at Oregon State, how we got it rolling and things were rolling. And even the first half at Portland State when, when – um, we scored 28 points in the first quarter and how things can go in this offense and we just execute and, and do the proper things we need to do. So we are excited and we all do believe in the coaches and, and each other and the playbook we do have. And we do believe that if we can execute betterly, I mean, execute better and just do the small fundamentals that we can really take off in this offense.
Well, uh, watching you to this uh, point in your time in Manoa has been uh, quite a pleasure, man. And I think the only thing missing from all those highlights, uh, a live crowd on hand to erupt when you do pull off some of those mystifying plays. So hopefully you're able to experience that and the fans are able to experience that before this season is over. Uh, but uh, keep up the good work and, and keep doing what you're doing. And hopefully uh, the wins and losses uh, start to uh, work out a little bit more uh, in the direction of what you guys intend. Most definitely. I appreciate your time and I appreciate your, your luck to us. All right. Big thanks once again to Calvin Turner for joining us uh, again. Humble guy, very low key, soft spoken. Uh, and hey, likes most. Hawaiian food. You got to love that. I love how he dropped the uh, the taro malasadas, too. I was like, oh, this guy, he's, uh, he's got a little <laughs> local knowledge there. All right, time now for our post-game best and worst. Brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii Maui's premier full-service refuse company offering various sizes of dumpsters and roll-off containers for commercial, construction, and residential use. Family-owned and operated with over 40 years of service to the Maui community, Waste Pro Hawaii is committed to customer service and responsible waste management. Visit wasteprohawaii.com for services information. What is your best, Jordan Helley? Yeah, my best. You mentioned uh, this is kind of tied off of a, a bit of a, a bitter pill, but you mentioned uh, the the University of Hawaii San Jose State football game, kind of a game only your mother could love, right? <laughs> it, there were a lot of punts going on. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if you've seen this, but the Maori Arts and Cultural Center. Uh, so this goes for more than just the folks here living on Maui. They've been streaming some live concerts because nobody can attend, so they've been streaming it on Facebook, YouTube, uh, local public access television here. Um, in Maui County, and they had Hawaiian-style band this week, this past weekend at 7 o'clock. Uh, and so kind of as the UH game was going and it was looking a little bleak for a while, uh, we turned that on and, and we listened to to Roby Kahakalao and, and the rest of the crew with Hawaiian-style band. Sean B. Bentel uh, was one of the guest musicians with them, uh, and it was some of the soundtracks of my childhood. It filled me with great memories um, and, and a great feeling as I watched Punt after punt sail through the air on my muted television, but it was made all that much better because I got to listen to the Hawaiian style band uh, live at the Mac, even though we couldn't be there. Yeah, uh, that uh, was a point of contention between my wife and I because we just bought like a brand new TV and I was like, this thing needs to be locked in on the UH football game. You know, it's kind of like for work, really. You know, I always use that excuse. Uh, but she wanted to watch the wine style band for sure. And I was using the uh, brand new, uh, bright, vibrant television to watch UH football. And uh, she was uh, unfortunately forced to resort to just her little laptop to watch wine style band. So uh, sorry, hon. But, you know, work is work. Anyway, all right, but that was a really cool concert and uh, Hawaiian style band, man, just all time classic, legendary right there. My best, uh, we go back to a coach we got familiar with, Hawaii's home opener this year against Portland State, and uh, they're uh, very funny and oftentimes uh, inappropriate language using head coach Bruce Barnum uh, did something really cool. He told the Oregonian that in their home opener against Western Oregon, in order to entice fans to come out to the game, he offered to buy their beers and pick up the fans beer tab. And at first everyone's like, oh, that's cool. He's gonna buy the first beer for every fan that buys a beer. No, 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 he said, yeah, all the beers. And so he ended up forking over almost $15,000. The receipt was 
exactly $14,448 uh, paid from the Barney Beer Garden by Bruce Barnum. Uh, how awesome is that? Uh, I know that uh, Todd Graham is a guy who has uh, a pretty deep level of resources on that front as well. So if and when fans are let back, uh, I'm thinking, uh, hey, Coach Graham, it wouldn't hurt to uh, make a similar offer. And also don't forget about the broadcast crew. Yeah, yeah. Your move, Coach. <laughs> I mean, Bruce Barnum doesn't make that much money, relatively, right? I mean, I think his salary is like $200,000 a year, which is a lot of money, but he's a college football coach. It's a pretty big tab to pick up. They also won the game, so that, that helps. Yeah, that's right. Was it 21-7, to 7, I think, the final? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, that is, uh, that is a win all across the board there for Bruce Barnum. All right, let's get to our worsts. What's your worst? Yeah, my worst, uh, Trevor Moad. I, I'm not sure uh, how familiar folks are with him. Uh, he's a fellow Occidental alum, so that's that's kind of how I've got to know him. He's been very good uh, to the alma mater and and been very involved. He's a great athlete. He was all-conference in soccer and basketball when he played at Occidental. Uh, but he just passed away last week, and, and he was really a, a pioneer. He was about early 40s, uh, pioneer in sports psychology, but more so mental conditioning. Um, and worked for years with Alabama football. Nick Saban really brought him in. He was like a member of the staff. Uh, he's done work with a number of really high-profile uh, professional athletes, collegiate athletes, teams, organizations, and, and most notably maybe Russell Wilson, who was also uh, – Russell self-described him as his best friend. Uh, they were business partners together, uh, Limitless Minds. Moab's written a couple of books. Uh, Whatever It Takes is one of them. And uh, it, it just in terms of mental conditioning, and he's, he's taking it to sort of the corporate world as well, uh, but really one of the pioneers in that. And uh, yeah, gone too soon, but uh, fellow Oxy alum, I was really bummed to hear that news. Yeah, that is a bummer. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm appreciative that uh, you took this opportunity to bring that up. Uh, my worst, more on the physical health side, and it's just injuries across the board for Hawaii quarterbacks, all right? So hey, look, there are a lot of injuries to a lot of Hawaii players in general, but something going on with the QBs right now, you have this matchup between the Raiders and the Dolphins this weekend in the NFL. Marcus Mariota, albeit a reserve for the Raiders, uh, he's not active for that game. He's out because of a quad injury suffered when he ran for 31 yards. One play, basically, in the opener against Baltimore. Tua got knocked out of the game after being hit by Another Polynesian, mind you, A.J. Epinesa against the Bills. And as it turns out, we just learned today, uh, he does have fractured ribs. And so he's out at least for that game. Uh, So you don't have the Mariota and Tua influence there. And then you have the news that Dylan Gabriel is going to miss the rest of the season for UCF with a significant injury. Uh, And so, you know, he's a Mililani alum. And, you know, this is not very far removed from Mackenzie Milton's return from a devastating injury when he was with UCF, now with Florida State. Uh, and it's just a bummer. And, and you just you know, hope for the best for these guys and, and hope that this is just a freaky-deaky coincidence that all this is happening. Yeah, this, it's such a bummer, right? So much promise. I mean, p- folks were hoping for maybe even a Marcus to a starting matchup, uh, the way that Marcus played in his limited time last year. Can't, yeah, can't. I mean, it's kind of hard to get them like all blessed because they're spread out across the, maybe if so, we just get like the Honolulu quarterback club. Can we just get like that, you know, a couple of Hail Marys there or something and, and hope it just, it just disseminates down to every quarterback that, that, that comes from Hawaii or will come from Hawaii. Cause we need a, we need a little turn in fortune here, man. It's yeah. Tough to swallow. Yeah. Here's to hoping that things get a little bit better physically for these Hawaii QBs. And with that, that is our best and worst brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii. Maui owned, Maui operated for Maui's people. Big thanks once again to Calvin Turner for joining us. Hit us up on Twitter at Kanoa Leahy, at Jordan Helly, or at TalkSports808. Jordan, have a good one. See you again next week. See you, man.